let's get ready for some serious shift. This is a podcast, Shifting Inside Out, hosted by your quantum shifter, Angie McCourt. We are diving into ways to empower and enable a quantum shift. Inspiring topics, hacks, and guest speakers take us on a journey around authenticity, challenging status quo, personal power, and living a purpose-filled life. In this episode, Paige Powers goes into her journey and along that journey, how she discovered her personal power and how that ended up intersecting with authenticity. And we really dive into her journey um, where, you know, there were many times, even though she's a planning person, where she didn't have a plan and she just really tried to figure out how to adapt and navigate in a way that really ended up becoming such a great opportunity for her to be able to go out into different career opportunities, move to different areas of the country. And one of my favorite things at the very end of the podcast is she talks about how she created this sanctuary for rescue animals. And I think it's just so darling. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode as you listen. You can find me on LinkedIn at Angie Belts McCourt and Instagram at Angie underscore McCourt. So without further ado, let's hear from Paige. Paige, welcome to Shifting Inside Out. I am so grateful that you have joined me on this episode. To get started, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Absolutely. My name is Paige Powers, and I have, I'll just say, 20-plus years in the high-tech industry. If I actually counted the years, I might be afraid. Uh, (laughs) I primarily focused my career on building global channels, global distribution, and global virtual sales. That's, those have been kind of my, my areas of passion. I currently lead the America's Distribution Organization for Juniper Networks. And outside of that, I have three uh, rescue dogs, and I am an adoption coordinator for West Coast Boxer Rescue and a board member for Living Farm Animal Sanctuary. Love so those it. are my side hustles. Yeah, I love it. And I love the fact that you called that your side hustle because I think a lot of people think, oh, I have to own my own business to have a side hustle. No, 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 you don't. No, you can actually help and contribute and be part of a a passionate, you know, um, area for you. That's awesome. I love it. Thank you so much. So um, I always do a quick round of questions just so the listeners can get to know you a bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, So the first one would would be, what is your morning ritual? (laughs) Well, I... I'm an early bird, so probably was a farmer in a prior life. I like to get up between <laughs> 4 and 4.30 in the morning, no matter where I am in the world. I tend to wake up that early no matter where I am. And the first and most important thing is to have that first sip of coffee. And that just <laughs> yes. gets, gets me going. Uh, you know, Up until recently, I would spend that time in the morning for myself. So I would go to the gym. Um, I'm an Orange Theory addict. I have a, an injury right now, so I haven't been able to do that. And I find that if I don't do that in the morning, uh, it gets descoped from my project plan for the day. And so <laughs> I usually spend those hours, you know, spending time, you know, getting my endorphins going or, or relieving stress. Um, and then on days that I don't go to the gym, I like to sit and just be quiet with the world before it wakes up. And I'll either work on personal projects or I will putter, I call it, around my house. So mm-hmm. I will, you know, make things, change things, move art around, but doing things that um, bring me positive energy and set me set me right for the day that aren't work-related. Ooh, love it. Yeah. I love the puttering part, too, because, you know, some people are like, well, I don't like having structure in the morning. I don't like having that set routine. And the puttering allows for freedom, I think mm-hmm. you just go do whatever you want, but you're holding the space for the puttering, <laughs> the, yes. act, the activity itself. Yeah, I love yes. that. That's fantastic. Oh, somebody just picked up a new uh, new way to do this. Um, how do you renew your energy? That is a that you know when I was thinking about this prior to coming coming on air with you, I w- I was really struggling with that because there's a lot of change going on um, in my life, and I think that. You know, I started at my current company a week after the world shut down. Mm -hmm. Uh, Prior to that, I was traveling 12 out of 13 weeks of a quarter. 
And my energy was renewed by who I got to see when I landed wherever I landed anywhere in the world. It was about the people and that's where I got my energy renewal. And when you start a new company in a new role and you're literally, this is the first time I've been locked in a house for this long, mm-hmm. um, I've, I really had to rethink where do I get my energy? And it got very, um, I'll say, awesome. COVID has some unintended benefits. I actually went outside when I lived in California before I moved here and I met my neighbors and their kids mm-hmm. and their kids are now coming to visit me as Auntie Paige and I would go outside and I would mm-hmm. just be with our friends and neighbors in the neighborhood. And then when we moved here, you know, again, I'm still, you know, we're not traveling much. And I was like, how do I renew my energy here in a new space, in a new place, but still not being able to go see people uh, mm-hmm. for work. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's kind of funny. We either, every night we walk the dogs or we get in our go-kart and we call it a sunset cruise. And we go out and take pictures of the Idaho sunset almost every night. And that's where I just kind of exhale, like getting out of the house, go, as my friend says, going outside and playing. Um, but it's, it's those simple things that you don't think about because the day is booked solid, much more solid than when we were in the office. You could at least walk to the bathroom or go to the cafe. (laughs) So you have to be super on purpose about, you know what, at five or five 30, I walk downstairs, we have dinner and then we go for a cruise or we take the dogs for a walk. And then I come back and I'm like, I can sleep well tonight now. Mm -hmm. It's like a separation. It's your creation of your separation. Um, it's that commute that we don't have. Yes, it's the commute. Yeah, exactly. And it does matter, I think, for the mindset. Yeah. So that's a really that's a really great um, ritual to to be able to um, create that separation. A lot of people are still really struggling with that. Um, mm-hmm. So now, what is your guilty pleasure besides coffee? <laughs> just just one <laughs> <laughs> or pleasures. <laughs> So I, you know, I was, I was listening to Nico's uh, podcast and I, I was giggling when he said, you know, I like to sit down and watch, and you mentioned it too, um, something on <laughs> media that just lets your brain relax because it is um, not your normal way of being. And so I always giggle with people because my favorite show is Cops. Okay. I have been watching Cops for 18 years. Oh, wow. um, it puts it, it helps me go to sleep at night, and I um, download it onto my iPad no matter where I am in the world because I can't sleep unless I have an episode of Cops on. And nobody understands how anybody could go to sleep to Cops, but that has just been my thing. And I might have an affinity for Dateline, Forensic Files, and everything Bravo TV. I think you missed a calling. Like, maybe you should have been an FBI agent or something, you know? like My next life. I'm definitely yeah. criminal justice. I'm going yes. into that. Yes. Even a private investigator, like, you would be a really cool private investigator. Oh, man, you, you, would, you would, like, break down walls in a way that you would get shit done. You would find the, the weapons that are buried. Like. <laughs> I now know that I, um, I tell my husband, I'm not sure this is podcast appropriate, but I'm going to say it anyway because I'm being my authentic self. But yes. I joke with him that I am... More valuable to him dead than alive, but he'll never get away with it because he has too much hair. So, <laughs> my forensic files. <laughs> because you know how things work. I know. You mm-hmm. know what they're looking Just for. And one hair out of that head. Yep. It's all it's, it's all needed. <laughs> Jimmy, you're done. <laughs> I think that's very funny, actually. <laughs> but we have a, we have a funny life. that's awesome but you know I think too the whole cops you know falling asleep to cops it's like well they caught the bad guys you feel like at ease like there's a safety association to that right so yeah I think your subconscious is using it as a way to protect you when you go to sleep so you can get up at 4 4 30 in the morning (laughs) right I think I dreamed it into being because when my husband did a career change he went from high-tech sales into you know, the Sonoma County Sheriff's Office. And mm-hmm. the community of people that kept me safe every day was unparalleled. So yeah. I sleep yeah. well at night. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. So, oh, my gosh, I think we've known each other like 11 or 12 years. It's been a while, right? Would you say about 2006-ish. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. 14. Maybe, maybe a little. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time. <laughs> It's been a long time. 
and mm -hmm. um, and and you've been amazing at um, you know doing and supporting um, women of the channel lunches at different events mm -hmm. that we've done and and being able to um, speak and one of the things that between you know hearing your passion around what you believe in and what you support obviously with animals and rescue there's a there's a big nurturing side to you as well um, the authentic leadership is something that I just have always witnessed from you and the impact that had on your teams you know that I got to see over time you know their their loyalty the trust the inspiration um, I mean they worked hard for you. That's what I saw <laughs> when I've been able to witness that. And I think that is such an important um, capacity to have. And it's not necessarily a leadership style that's been, um, I would say, the most popular or has been um, the most broadly you know, modeled. And it is now becoming the most in demand. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so you've been doing it for a very long time. So um, we'll go into your journey first, but I think along the way, I would love to talk about authentic leadership and just mm -hmm. what does that mean to you? And, and you know, what, what have you seen over the years of evolution and embracing and allowing for and or what were the battles that maybe you had to play along the way to be able to show up as an authentic leader? Right. Because it hasn't always been the most um, modeled leadership style. So anyway, I would love for you to share with the audience like your journey first and let's just, you know, let you run on that and go back as far as you'd like and just go for it. So absolutely. And, you know, I I think the first time where I actually ever had to think about my leadership style was when you asked me to do a luncheon of women in the channel on leadership. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to say. I just, I just do what I do. I guess I got to better figure this out. And, and that was one of, uh, I'll say a career defining moment that you really led me into because I had to get up on stage and say something that was impactful and meaningful where I had just been doing me or, you know, how I worked and, and trying to really look at that and inspect what is it that I believe in how is it that I lead, uh, that I can articulate it in a way that sounded, <laughs> you know, semi-organized. Um, but, you know, I, I started to look back, and I've looked back many times over, I'd say, the last 15 years on, you know, you said owning personal power. And mm -hmm. I think that, you know, I, I didn't really start, I didn't start out knowing any of that, like I said, there was that defining moment where I had to actually talk about leadership and I had to do it one other time. And I, I really went, you know, what, what did I do up until this point? Mm -hmm. And I realized that you do have to go all the way back. And, mm -hmm. um, I grew up without going into some of the traumatic side of, of, of it, but I grew up idolizing my father and wanting to do exactly what my dad did. I did all of the sports he did except for football. I wanted to be the, you know, he had a national accounting firm and I was going to be the first female managing partner of a national accounting firm. And I was just going to be a mini John. And I realized when I got to college that um, I got my first three C's of my life all in accounting. And I called my father crying. And this was my first kind of powerful decision or defining moment saying, I'm not going to be you. I just, I don't, this isn't me. And he's like, did I ever pressure you? Did I ever... And he never did. Yeah. And it was in that moment where I went, wait, nobody's putting pressure on me to be something that I'm not. And I made a decision. And I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into sales and marketing and major in marketing and org behavior. And <clears throat> with that, I had no idea what any of that meant, but I knew it wasn't accounting. <laughs> and so it allowed me, as you say, the space to kind of do a lot of different things versus being pigeonholed into one thing. And shortly after I graduated, I was in a sales role. Microsoft was my customer. I lived in Seattle and I made a decision to move to the Silicon Valley within like two weeks. I'd never lived anywhere else. And I have no idea why, where I found the courage to say, I'm just going to uproot my entire life and go move to California. <laughs> Wow. And, and that, that was young, in, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm not, I, at that point, I was not a risk taker. I've never been a risk. Well, I wasn't a risk taker at that point in my life. But I was like, 
this is the path I need to go. I don't know why I can always come home. And that started um, an amazing journey in my career, but also in my, you know, I'll say sense of self development experience, because I didn't know what I was doing. I questioned myself every step along the way. And after, you know, a year of working for the company that I worked for, I went, I'm, I don't have any runway at this company. Who are my favorite customers? And it was my Cisco customer and my HP customer. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about the company. It was about who my favorite, like who I love to work with. Mm -hmm. And I had an opportunity to go to Cisco and, you know, through the course of the time I was there, obviously I got to meet you and I got to have the team that we worked collectively with, but I was able to create out of nine different roles, create six of them that didn't exist. And that's really, you know, in the moment, I didn't know I had this power, but looking Uh back, (laughs) it's something I'm super proud of that I would see a problem. I would see a gap. I would see an org that needed help or service or somehow um, needed something fixed or changed or evolved. And I would just go after it and I would get people on board with me. And that's where I started to really gain knowledge that if I actually asked for something, I could actually have people agree with me. I could get them on board. I could get them engaged. I could get them energized to do whatever it was, whatever crazy scheme I was up to at that point. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, you know, during that time, I was really growing up in my career and I was also growing up as a person. And it was really through, you know, my whole identity was wrapped up in my work, how hard I worked, how much I was recognized for my work, how my work could have an impact. Um, And I was really, you know, kind of internally focused. And then um, I was promoted to a leadership position where I was not the subject matter expert. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I'll call that distribution. Uh, (laughs) And I didn't know any of the people except for my boss at the time. And I really had to look outside of my little world to people like Chuck um, and his peer at other companies, to you, to my team, and say, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I know we can, we can do amazing things. And it was that wisdom of the crowd. So that's one of the books, <laughs> Wisdom of the Crowd, bringing together uh, the knowledge and diverse perspectives of different people never trying to solve something on your own because you'll have such a, a limited impact. Uh, and then, you know, I had this, I think, I really honestly think that part of my career at Cisco where I was in distribution and got to engage with so many amazing people in the channel, uh, you know, it was, that was where the, the springboard was for me. But I also went through a life-changing event. And it, all it takes is one life-changing event to completely change your perspective. Mm-hmm. And I did go through one. Um, <clears throat> I was in a, a personal situation that I needed to be out of, and I didn't know how to get out of that. And I sought the counsel of uh, you know, a therapist to give me the courage and the strength to be able to change that situation I was in. Mm-hmm. And what I realized, um, you know, I had been tagged as you're too passionate or you're too cold and intimidating or you're too fully self-expressed. And I was being incongruent in my professional life and in my personal life with who I actually was. And after four and a half years of completely unpacking my life up until that point, uh, I realized uh, that I am good enough. Um, I understood why I had operated the way I did and how it had served me up until that point. Mm-hmm. Um, how I was programmed and how I adapted to it to survive. And I say survive, not, you know, Maslow's hierarchy needs of survival, but just to survive in my life and that it no longer served me. Mm-hmm. And that's probably about the time where you met me because I all of a sudden kind of gave all of that programming up to say, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And I believe in, Not everybody's going to like what I have to say, but I'm going to be congruent in my core values. I'm going to be congruent in leading by example. And I'm going to give myself the space to be who I am, whether I'm at work, whether I'm at home, whether I'm 
in the community whether I'm giving back. And that was a real turning point for me and an investment, I think, that everybody should make, whether it's therapy or coaching, mm -hmm. uh, because you just... It, it's just an investment, a gift you give yourself yeah. to be able to make a choice at that point. Knowing, understanding that how you got to where you are and who you are gives you the choice to, to be who you want to be going forward. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, and so um, it's interesting because um, page power, personal power, like <laughs> it all goes hand in hand. Um, but it is interesting because as your, your journey just came to this point in time, the personal power and the authenticity merging is so incredible because that's what it's all about. <laughs> yep. yep. And that's and so I... from there, how did that, how did that then shape for you from a life per, in a work perspective? From a career perspective, it really helped me be okay and not be in that. I mean, I just like a lot of people were in that, oh my gosh, I'm in the imposter syndrome. Someday they're going to find out I'm not as good as I think or they think I am. I just gave it all up and I said, you know what? I, here's my core values. Here's how I want to be as a leader. I want people to feel better. Um, when they leave a conversation with me, then when they started it, I want, um, to always, I'm a, I took the quiz and yes, I've, I'm a servant leader, no, no surprises, <laughs> not, uh, no, not surprised, but it's for me to, to really rebuild who I thought I was professionally helped me also separate, not separate, but, um, not have my whole identity wrapped up in who I was professionally. Because I'm also the same person personally and bringing that congruency together and being able to be fully self-expressed with my humans in my life, as well as my humans at work, because I spend more time, as we all know, with our humans at work. Um, it, that's when I started to realize I actually had power. Yeah. And when I looked back, having kind of that, a little bit of that, you know, acceptance of myself, I went, oh, Wow. That was, that was a powerful event when you made that decision to step away from everything you knew, to make that decision to move, to make those six decisions to try to get people on board with what you wanted to do. And then all of a sudden, I realized that I had the opportunity and the courage to take some risks mm -hmm. in my life and in my career that I would never have done had I not gone through kind of that transitional moment coaching moments and I said okay well I want to at my retirement speech at this point in my career um, I said I want to have I want to be speaking about running or owning my own business mm -hmm. and working for a large corporation like you oftentimes you don't see how a company operates at our level and so I said I'm going to need to leave the nest and I'm going to go <laughs> work for some smaller organizations, still doing the things that I love to do, which is channel distribution and virtual sales, but being able to see how each element of the operation works to see if I could possibly mm -hmm. run or own my own business in the future. And so I went on this path and I was very on purpose for the first time in my career. My path was, I want to go to companies where I can build virtual sales organizations. I believe in it. I want to go to companies where there's a cause associated to it in some way, shape, or form that I believe in. So technology always seems to be one that I attach to. And I went into solar distribution because distribution is my love. I can't, I can't seem to, to shake that. Um, <laughs> and built a virtual sales and outside sales organization for a solar distributor went back into technology, built global distribution, global di virtual sales. But it wasn't about the building the team. It was the who, like mm. who I got to work for and who I got to work with. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, that is my number one priority, no matter what role I take, is who I work for and who I work with. And I've been very blessed to acquire some amazing organizations including the one that I have now, um, of which only a few I've hired myself. So it's just a testament to the leaders that came before me. And to have the ability to say, 
this is what I want to do. And I'm okay with not being the CEO. I'm now okay with not owning my own company because I have all of this um, energy and excitement and fun in my side hustles. Mm-hmm. I'm learning about 501Cs. I'm mm-hmm. saving boxers from being euthanized. And I'm like, I don't need to run my own company now because I, I have that, that filled yeah. that gap there. Yep. And I still get to do what I love, which is who I work for, who I work with. And I get to, I'm back in distribution, which is, which is where I, you know, I, I love to partner with organizations to figure that out. But it's, it's really all about people accepting me for being who I am and me accepting them for being who they are and just really capitalizing on people's strengths. And that's been, we had a, a channel event, I think it was an internal Cisco event where Marcus Buckingham came. And I remember sitting there going, I'm not wrong anymore for wanting to be focusing on strengths. I've always done that as a leader. It's to your point, not, wasn't a well accepted. It was always spend 90% focusing on what people aren't good at and developing it versus what they are good at. And I remember having that epiphany going, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. I'm okay. I'm a good leader. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've just gone with it. It's just, it's listening. It's, um, it's just who I am and I would expect the same out of my leaders. And I'm very fortunate that I right now have really great leaders that give me that same, that same engagement and courtesy and respect and listening. Yeah. And it's interesting because that epiphany that you had about, it's no longer about the title or the money or where I'm at. It's who I'm with. And that's the most important thing. There is this point, pretty much in everyone's career, as long as they're open to it, where that happens. It's the priorities of what am I doing and why am I doing it? All of a sudden become really, really deeply, there's like this deep yearning to discover it and to figure it out and to really align in with it. Because otherwise we feel very disconnected. We just feel like, oh my gosh, I'm going through the motions. This is like robotic person inside of me, you know, going through all of this, where there has to be more to it than this, right? And I think you just, you just explained and showed how that transition can happen, doing the same kind of work, but really honing in on how and why you love it. And then the whole purpose, which your purpose obviously is as a leader driving this too, right? But a lot of people are like, no, I have to have I have to have absolute fun. It has to be easy, and it has to be my purpose tied to my income. But where people don't necessarily um, find that other outlet, which is the side hustle, could be a business, could be a hobby, could be a nonprofit yep. that you yep. work with or that you start. It could be a very intentional, very meaningful um, uh, activity you do, like rescue. And or connecting, um, you know, rescues with their new owners, their forever owners. And so it's such a great lesson. And I think it gives a lot of uh, aha moments to people when they first hear it. They're like, oh, wait a minute. I don't have to actually love what I'm doing. But where I don't have to actually find my full purpose in what I'm doing. And the meaning can still be in the work. But you're looking at it differently now. You're not putting so much pressure on the actual job being able to fulfill every single piece of that yearning. It's, oh, I can now show up in the way that I need to show up, who I am, and do this in a meaningful way, this job. But I can also have my outlets, whether it's even for expression or whether it's for um, creativity or whether it's for giving. You know, there, there are lots of different ways to fulfill that other purpose, meaning that's piece of this, this yearning that we feel. And I think that's such a great example how you shared that and how you showcased that just now so thank you for that I appreciate it so when you think about um early on early on in your journey when you had to make that decision about that was probably the first identity shift was when you called your dad and you said I can't be you (laughs) right for you being so young and being able to like Mm -hmm. be at that moment where you said uh, this isn't this isn't me. I have to just admit it. It's not me. 
What was that feeling like? Was that liberating to feel that release of expectation, whoever's expectation it was? I would say the first, it's like the stages of grief. There's multiple of them. I think the first was terror. Mm. Um, (laughs) Terror in calling my parents. I mean, my mom, but my mom is my cheerleader. My dad's my cheerleader too. But in what I realized in that moment, it was my expectation that I was terrified of breaking. And it had no parent. I mean, I know there are parents that, that do that. Mine never, ever did that. Um, and so I had that in that moment where he was just like scratching his head going, why are you crying? Why are you so upset? Why are you? And I'm like, "Ah." I realized that it was me that had all, I had put all this pressure on myself since I was a tiny person to be as good, if not better than the person I idolized. Mm -hmm. And once he said, Paige, the go, go do what you need to do. I just had this, like, I don't know what I'm going to go do, but (sighs) exhale. Like there wasn't in my mind, they expected it of me, but it wasn't them. It was me. Mm -hmm. And, and allowing myself to forgive myself, um, to be kind to myself in that moment to say, I'm okay that I'm not going to be exactly like John Crutcher, Mm -hmm. um, or Priscilla Crutcher, also an esteemed business extraordinaire and when I'm going to go forge my own way and I have no idea what I'm doing and we're going to go figure it out um which is not in my family they they're you know we don't go figure things out we we have a plan we plan 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 I'm like I don't have a plan but we're going to go figure it out yeah and I think that kind of I don't have a plan I don't know the answer but I'll figure it out yeah has been a common theme not just I'll figure it out but now, later, you know, more towards the back half of my career, who can I engage to help me figure it out? And that's yeah. even kind of the private investigator side of me. Who would have a great idea about this? I don't know the answer. Who is really strong in this? Who in bringing a team together and saying, hey, let's just throw a sticky note up there with a business problem. How are we going to go solve that? Uh, and I think that 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 moment when I had to realize it wasn't my parents that put the pressure on me, it was me. And then I let that go. Uh, the whole world was open and sales was such back then it was, you're, you're going to a big five accounting firm, one of the consulting firms. If you're not finance and accounting, you have no job. I'm like, I have no job. So what are we going to go do? We're going to go sell stuff. (laughs) And I've been in sales ever since. (laughs) But I think it's important to, to the approach that, you, that you've taken there, which is I, I don't have the answer and I don't have a plan, but I'm going to figure it out. Adaptability, flexibility, curiosity, um, being open and being open to receive support and help and asking for it. Like those are all skills and capacities that so many people struggle with on top of expectations and unrealistic or false expectations too. But it's, um, but it's interesting because it's almost been this navigational tool for you. You know, to be able to, it's like, I'm not going to freak out about this change. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to, you know, trust myself and I'm going to trust others. And the personal power that that has is incredible. Yeah. Besides skills and capacities and kind of the technical pieces of it, like the personal power that holds is just like, ooh, it gives me the chills. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, you know, one of the things in the congruency side, I did, I learned that much faster in my professional life than I did in my personal life. Mm-hmm. And I have, I will, I mean, even now, you know, I do get feedback. We wish Paige would delegate more and like, I don't want to <laughs> burden people. That kind of servant side of me. I don't want to burden people. Mm-hmm. But in my personal life, I spent so many years just doing doing it all, not asking mm-hmm. for help, not, um, saying I need, uh, I was like, I got it. I got it. I got it. And, and that, you know, contributed to the downfall of, of, you know, things in my personal life. And now I'm learning, still learning how to say, hi, 
I need your perspective or I need your help or I will accept help when people want to give give me something, which is just against my nature because I'm a doer my, mm-hmm. on my own. But I'm, I'm always working on that congruency. I'm much better with my teams than I think I am with my personal um, life. Really but I've mm-hmm. made a lot of um, inroads, I will say, in the last 10 years to just be me and be able to be vulnerable personally, uh, ask for help, um, Mm -hmm. say, I need, I need, um, help, uh, which is, those are the hardest words for me (laughs) to Mm -hmm. say, but (laughs) it really, people want to help. People want to contribute. People want to be a part of a team. People want to feel like they are a part of something, whether it's in your community, your personal life, um, your professional life. And I, I do it I feel like I'm better at it um, with my work peeps than I am with my home peeps, but uh, I'm still a, we're always human and we're learning every day. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because, you know, all of these kind of approaches, um, being inclusive, you know, inclusive in solving problems too. It's not just inclusive in coming up with new ideas. Um, it's, It's about empowering others and it's about, um, connection and deeper connection. And there's this yearning going on amongst people, humans, doesn't matter if it's life Mm -hmm. or work, where they're really wanting more. They're wanting more meaning. They're wanting more connection. They're wanting deeper relation, deeper, meaningful relationships. And they're wanting to be trusted and they're wanting to be not just recognized, like recognized is really hard nowadays because everything is pretty much co-collaborating. It's co-creating. Like there is no individual does everything. Yep. And so recognition yep. is the old way of how we were able to kind of, as leaders, be able to say, oh, you know, this person did such an outstanding above and beyond job. But acknowledgement can go to anyone who is putting in an extra couple hours to finish something, to prioritize something over, you know, everything else on their plate to try to help their, you know, leader or or their customer or peer. And that kind of leadership needed to be able to support and hold space for this new, um, I would call it, um, new set of needs that employees have is critical and I can't see it happening with a lot of the old behaviors and old leadership styles. Authentic, authenticity and vulnerability and nurturing are like the three. Nurturing being empathy and, and you know, some other key components of, of really wanting people to succeed and you know, really helping them get to the possibilities that they have. Like Those are all pieces that play into this authentic leadership style, if you want to call it that, that is demanded nowadays. It's not even a matter of, you better figure it out or your teams are all going to leave because they've already shown that they will do that. Yes. They've already shown they will do that. They're not, they're, they, they want connection. They want acknowledgement. They want to be valued and they want meaning in what they're doing. And that means as a leader, we have to help them connect to that meaning. So, as you look at the changes over the past few years, for you, you haven't necessarily had to change, but you've probably seen how it's been more received, not just by your teams, but even by your own peers and your, own, and, and your leaders to show up authentically, to lead authentically. Um, what, are, what, is your, what are your thoughts on all of that? Like, how does that, how do you disseminate that down into you know, some, some synopsis that you've witnessed? Well, I think there is still an element of the old world in play at every company, at, um, in every industry, I'm sure. I'm well-versed in high tech. But back to who you work for, meaning leadership down mm-hmm. to whatever level you're at, to who you work with. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed, having done a few, um, I'll call them adventures in startup, adventures in you know different high tech situations between Cisco and Extreme in here. Um, when people say our culture, 
I had zero belief in that they were authentic about culture because I would walk into a situation or to a company and it was all, you know, uh, um, marketing, marketing information where I got to see truly the culture of the company I was at. Again, I started a week after the world shut down. Nobody's <laughs> dealt with this before. And I watched a CEO that I didn't know anything about at the time. I had been in the Chambers, you know, world for so many years, and I idolized um, him as an evangelist and somebody that could get people aligned and on board with anything. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, there's <laughs> never going to be anybody else like like a John Chambers. And then I watched our CEO and how he handled us as humans during something mm-hmm. he didn't even know how to navigate through. And I, I went, I remember all the interviews about Juniper's culture, Juniper's culture. And it could be Juniper, it could be any, insert company name here. And I didn't, I'm like, yeah, 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 I'll get in there. Um, and I have truly saw the, you know, leaders show their stripes when you're in um, a crisis. And mm-hmm. watching yeah. from our CEO all the way down through the organization with dealing with that made me loyal. Mm-hmm. And I have, you know, as a leader in the space of um, pandemic and being in, in, in technology, hardware technology during all of this stuff, I have watched many leaders just embrace the fact that, you know, we have to be better than we've ever been yeah. to keep people okay, to keep people, we've had to deal more with the human side of people's um, experience of what we're all going through as humans, mm-hmm. um, all the natural disasters, all of that as well. And it's like, I, I've i always had leadership core values and it starts with family first, and then it's respect and hearing. It kind of goes up the thing. But to see um, somebody that, has, that leads all of us mm-hmm. handle the care and feeding and, and human element of the people that work in the company first before money uh, has made me loyal. And I, mm. I feed off of that. Uh, I have to be loyal to my leader in order to provide for the authenticity that I have for my organization and the peer organizations that I work with. And that has been, as I've been going through my personal changes of you know, not moving around the world and doing all those things, at the end of the day, taking care of each individual on my team, making sure they're okay, Um, health, mental first, um, then let's figure out how to solve the problems we're dealing with. Uh, But if if we can't support one another in the first level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, uh, we cannot be the best professional people changing changing the situation and driving, driving the revenue that we need to do together. So I am a lead by example person. I won't ask my teams to do anything I wouldn't try or do myself. Um, I will tell them when I'm not at my best. Uh, mm-hmm. So kind of that vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Like, it's been a rough couple weeks for me. I haven't been able to walk. I haven't been able to do some of those things. And my team 1,000% backs me up. Knowing that my fortitude is down personally, they jump in and we all figure out how to do a quarter end <laughs> together. <Yep. laughs> But it comes from, it really comes from the top. And to to see that, you know, I obviously work for somebody I know um, that I've worked with as a peer for many years. So he's a known quantity to me. And we have supported one another uh, going through this change. But I always will come back to pick who you work for and who you work with. Uh, And they will change. And it will will throw you on your tush a few times uh, because you get super attached to that. And then you go make your change, whatever change you need to make, mm-hmm. because those are the people that are going to be in your tribe, mm-hmm. um, you know, as you move through your career. And I'm, I'm delighted to say that I get to work with, I had two mentors when I came, right when I came into distribution. One of them is retired, who, re, who will remain nameless, and the other one I get to work with every day. So I, that, that history of who you work with is to me now in my career, more important than, to your point, the title, the job, you know, 
I, I have a roof over my head. I can feed three dogs. Uh, you know, the, the money's the money. Um, and I am a salesperson, so I am very motivated by money, but I'm less motivated by that than the people piece. Yeah. Well, because that's the meaningful piece, the true, yeah. true, true meaning, you know, of, of what you're doing every single day and spending most of your life actually doing it right. Time-wise. <laughs> yes. Yes. Exactly. Oh, that's so great. Um, I love closing on that, but I would love one, maybe a page bumper sticker or a page billboard, just a bit of <laughs> advice besides, um, you know, obviously it's who, about who you work for and who you work with. Is there anything yeah. else like um, you've done, you've done a lot of change and risks in your life, like in your career and your life and what has given you that courage and that maybe something around that I think would be also really nice to wrap, kind of wrap this up in a, in a holistic way. My courage has always come from, I know I can always go home mm. and I say home in a, a, a bigger way, but you know, taking a risk, just talking about taking a risk, I just got goosebumps myself. Um, cause it's not natural to me to take risks, but I always know I can go home. Mm-hmm. And whatever you have to define where that home is for you, right. that it makes you feel like you have a home base, like when you play tag or, mm-hmm. you know, you have, if I go do this, I know I can come, I can, I know where my safety, my parachute is or that. Mm-hmm. And so for me, when I ventured out beyond my comfort zone, mm-hmm. I've always had that, that bumper sticker, you can always go home. Now mm-hmm. for me, Physically, that means I can still go home <laughs> to my parents. I still have them. God bless this earth. Uh, but that grounding of where is your home base so that you know that you can take the risk and you feel safe if it doesn't work out. Because, you know, you mentioned it, you know, go fast, fail fast, go hard. Uh, but you need, I need to always have a plan B, a C, a D a, to a Z. And I'm always planning for if this doesn't work, what am I going to do next? Or how am I going to do this? Um, so that for me is always know you can go home, mm-hmm. but defining where you're, what that is for you so that mm-hmm. you feel the courage and the safety because part of courage is scary, but yeah. um, I always have to have the safety, safety backup for any risk that I take. That's awesome. Thank you so much for that. Do you happen to have any call-outs that I can add in the show notes, any books, products, um, websites, um, nonprofits, maybe rescue? Um, Mm -hmm. That would be awesome. So I would say, aside from your, uh, uh, a magical writing, um, the two books that have had, actually the three books that have had the most impact on my career are Managing from the Heart, Now Discover Your Strengths, and Wisdom of the Crowd. Those are three I refer to and that I go back to time and time again. So those are my three. Beautiful. Um, the nonprofits that I got involved in that made me realize that I don't have to have my own business, but that I can be such an impactful part are Loving Farm Animal Sanctuary and West Coast Boxer Rescue, two causes that I'm super passionate about. Um, and again, you know, getting involved in things where you can learn about when we're in technology, we don't often know how to run a business necessarily. We don't know how to run a 501c, but finding that thing, we always joked, Paige, you'd be, you know, what's your business going to be? I'm like, I don't know. What am I passionate about? Animals, wine, running you know like what is my thing going to be and then this it's like the universe manifests itself to Mm -hmm. bring these two great organizations into my life Uh, and I now whether I run or own my own business is not a thing in my bucket list it's now I have these amazing organizations that I get to contribute to and hopefully you know maybe I'll run one of them one day yeah Oh my gosh, it's amazing. I love it. And so I haven't been on Facebook for a while, but um, you had a potbelly pig, I think, at the sanctuary. Was that that you sponsored or that you, it was yours? I'm not sure what the situation was there, but I think it's really cool. Yes. Um, on Loving Farm, we started with one pig. So it started with three of us and one pig that we rescued from um, uh, Acon, South Carolina. 
Mm-hmm. And now we have um, 57 animals. Wow. We have 15 pigs. Uh, actually, I'll probably lose count. We've got chickens. We've got turkeys. We've got um, sheep. We've got goats. We've got horses. We've got cats. We've got dogs. Uh, but yes, what started as the 501C was started around Miss Charlotte Pigglesworth von Stortenheim, otherwise known as Ziva. <laughs> And she was like this big when we got her, and now she's 650 pounds. And wow. it's so fun to educate people because they're like, I've never seen a pig that big. And we're like, yeah, because you eat them when they're six months old. Mm-hmm. So it's like a lot of it, what we do is around education of um, farmed animals and mm-hmm. um, you know their journey and their trauma um, around that and how you can live a plant-based life without... Mm-hmm. And, and treat a pig the same way you would treat a cat and a dog and give them a life that they deserve. So that's really what the sanctuary is about. I love it. And I didn't realize that. So you started it. <laughs> yeah, there were three of us. Um, so it, it started at, a, at work, again, working with amazing people. And my I was building a, I was a VP at a company in, in the solar space. And I hired this gentleman to be my sales operations director. And he's like, Paige, um, we really want to move back to California. And um, Tracy's back in South Carolina, and the neighbor called 45 acres away. Um, and there's this pig that got loose from the slaughterhouse, and they don't know what to do with it. I'm like, get the pig. He's like, well, I'm like, Bill, get the pig. We don't know anything about pigs. I'm like, um, you live in the agricultural, like, mecca of, you know, the <laughs> South. You, there's vets. There's colleges. You go figure out how to take care of the pig. And I basically told him without using the words that I said to him, because he's from Boston, so I could say these words. I said, take the rest of the day off and get the pig or you're fired. And that's how we started the 501C. I go, go finish the paperwork. Let's go to the county of Santa, Santa Rosa or Santa, Sonoma. Go get the paperwork done. And then you, Tracy, and I will figure out how to create the sanctuary here in California. And we'll move the pig and then the resident animals out here. And we did that. Oh my gosh, that is so awesome! I love. And now there's 57 of them. Oh my gosh, they get to live their life on this. We do not have many horses. Ah, I'm looking for a mini horse. You can have mini horses. (laughs) (laughs) I think that is so wonderful. That is so purposeful. That is so heartfelt. That is so. um, Oh, that's like better than owning a business. It's incredible. Yeah. It is real. It is. It really is. And they, yeah. you know, the animals give back way more than you get from, well, you yeah. know, revenue and all yeah. that good stuff. So I totally agree. Oh, that's awesome. Paige, thank you so much. Yeah. I know you're really super busy. I really appreciate you coming on this thank episode. You. And if you like this episode, you can LinkedIn me at Angie Belts McCourt and let me know. And if you really want to say thank you, just please leave a review on Apple products. Thanks so much.